I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Strip Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Learning from Trial and Error to Transform a Strip Till System, is being brought to you by Dawn Equipment. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll look to get it added here as well. Thanks again to Dawn Equipment for sponsoring today's episode. The new Dawn Pluribus Strip-Till Row Unit is the industry's first strip-till row unit with active row-by-row hydraulic down pressure, which allows you to make the perfect strip, even if life puts you in a tire track. The new Dawn Pluribus makes a deeper, wider strip and offers hydraulic in-cab row cleaner adjustment, all with the same high speed and low power performance you've come to expect. You can call Don today to set up a demo of the new Pluribus at 800-554-0007. Again, that number is 800-554-0007. Well, as farmers start their transition into strip-till, there are inevitably unexpected challenges and benefits. This was the case for Nickerson, Nebraska farmers Kirk Brand and Brent Wilnerd, who adopted strip-till a little more than four years ago on their combined operation. Through experimentation, strip-tilling corn and soybeans along with incorporation of cover crops, they've applied knowledge from some early lessons learned and continued to refine their system. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by Dawn Equipment, we share excerpts from our conversation we had with Kirk and Brent on their farm about the scope of their strip-till operation and some examples of both the progress and pain points they've encountered early on in their strip-till journey. Well, this is our our fourth year of strip-tilling. And actually, it's probably maybe six, but the first couple years... One five, there's some neighbors that started a few years before we did. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a real tough farm to the south that's real heavy, black dirt, and... We're not, we were no-tillers, so I didn't want to disc it, but that black stuff needed to be opened up. So I rented their bar a couple times and did it, and we liked it. Yeah, and we liked it so much we decided to buy a couple bars. Of, the know. biggest thing is we were running residue problems no-till-wise. Yeah, we've been no-till for a long time, and, and we put our anhy- we use anhydrous, and we put it on at an angle across our bean ground. Well, then you go to plant, you know, you got a beautiful spot where the anhydrous knife went, to plant but in between you have mucky soil under a lot of residue and we weren't getting the stands we wanted and uh, in a wet spring you know then we couldn't start planting early because it was so mucky under there that we weren't getting the seed slot closed properly and so then after Brent tried it down there on on that farm uh, we decided to go for it so basically we strip till all of our we rotate almost everything we do have a little corn on corn uh, but we strip till all our bean ground uh, and then all of our corn stalks we we have two planters and we plant narrow row corn uh, beans 15 inch row beans 30 inch row corn but we plant on each side of the previous corn row we've moved the hitch on the tractor and so we we used to plant across our bean uh, corn stalks at an angle, but that wasn't working very good either because of the different, you know, it was hard over the top of the row, and then in between the row it was 
pretty nice to plant in. But we ended up moving our hitch over and doing a little finagling with our guidance to make it work. So now we just plant our beans on each side of the old cornstalk row in 15-inch rows. Now Brent has done some 30-inch beans on that heavy farm. And I've had the two best yields I've ever had the last two years. So. Yeah. It's a farm that normally can't get 50, and they've been 60 the last two years, and planted towards the end of May. Yeah. yeah. Last year was actually in June. Yeah. You know, we like planting early, and so we go down there and plant corn early, and then half the time we've decided that we're just going to somehow stay away wait with that farm <laughs> and not plant it because it's beautiful conditions. We go down there and plant it. Well, then, and it might even, the outlook might be fairly good even. Well, then here comes a week of unforeseen, Cold, wet weather. Now the corn ends up. It all died this year. We replanted yeah. it. Really? Yeah. We've replanted more on that farm than any farm we've oh, ever farmed. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty crash. And so <laughs> strip tills really working good everywhere, but down there it's exceptionally good system for us. Corn and corn plays a little bit of tricks, but mm -hmm. we shred the stalks, and then I don't know if you ever heard of a row stalker. Mm -hmm. it, we run that, and then we just strip till right through all the residue. It looks like a disaster when you're doing it, but it works. It turns out, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, uh, a little bit of what you guys are doing, kind of the setup, but um, you know, maybe give us a sense for kind of the scope of what you guys are doing. Uh, you know, um, acreage-wise, you said it's kind of a you strip till all your soybeans, and I'm guessing you're doing the same with with the corn, but um, you know, maybe. Uh, Little overview of some of the the equipment you guys are, are running, uh, you know, as far as your your strip till equipment, uh, planters. Well, <clears throat> we have two white planters. One's a sixteen row thirty, and one's a thirty one row fifteen inch that we plant the beans with. Um, we run Challenger tractors, Massey Ferguson, and our strip till bars are actually made in Nebraska. They're a strip cat mm -hmm. uh, made in Minden. Um, we like them. They've been pretty, pretty good, you know. Yeah, we like because the guy we, that I borrowed from has a shank type, mm -hmm. and these are row unit, mm -hmm. and I like that a lot better. I think. Yeah, they still have those. Yeah, they still use them, and our corn planter is all precision. Mm -hmm. It's not agco. Yeah, yeah, it's a white planter, but we started with airbags, and I don't know. We had we had Air Force we had row yeah. shutoffs on that, but I don't know. Did we do every row, or we had? We just do two rows. I think we had pairs. Now we've converted it over to where we have Delta Force and Clean Sweep. Every row has its own shutoff. Um, and now this summer... We put speed tubes on We put the V-set speed tubes on it. That's not even quite finished, but... Uh, we're pretty happy with precision stuff. Mm -hmm. It's And the thing we've learned, too, is we're almost always lifting. Rarely are we putting down pressure on with the strips. And we have box. Our, our 31 row planter is a, is a bulk planter, but our corn planter is a box planter. Um, I guess I was a little nervous on having a bulk planter. We plant a lot of seed corn hmm. for companies. We have since well, we moved here in 68, and that was the first year we planted seed corn. And we planted seed corn every year except in 83 when it was the pick year. So for 50 years, we've grown seed corn for different companies. Um, started out with DeKalb and 
and then it went to Golden Harvest, and then we grew for Fontenelle, which is now owned by Monsanto, but the people that own it uh, kind of started their own company called Nebraska Irrigated Seed, and so we uh, are a contract grower from that for them. And so I was a little concerned with the bulk planter and, you know, this seed corn now, sometimes you have to plant it two or three different times, and it's always all mixed up. There's never any set thing. You know, sometimes we'll plant all the female rows. We'll come back so many heat units later, plant half the male, plant the other half the male later. Sometimes it's it's hardly ever a straightaway where you plant it all at one time. Sometimes you get to plant half the male with all the female. Sometimes it's even male first, so it, there's no pattern to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was concerned with a lot bulk of, It's a lot of cleaning. An awful yeah. lot of the people that have yeah. plant seed corn. I think we're, the, I think we're I the only ones that have a box corn. Yeah, I just, <laughs> uh, was just kind of like, eh, I don't know if I want to deal with, because that's pretty important, <laughs> not to mess up anything <laughs> right. when you're planting that. You right. know? So that's how we do that. So in terms of uh, how you guys have your, your planter row units and your, your strip cat row units set up, you know, any... Anything you guys have modified or changed or anything you, you like or, or dislike about how you got that and the performance you're seeing? I guess the best thing would be is if we could go to a 16-row strip-till machine because we're running an 8 and a 12. And, I mean, we're RTK guidance, but still sometimes on certain fields or something will go wacky and you don't necessarily line up perfectly sometimes. Our but, goal eventually, what we really want to do is to be very right on our strip tilt machines. We're not right now. Mm -hmm. We're putting on a, what we do on most fields is we use 100 pounds of mez and 50 pounds of Aspire from CBA uh, in a blended mix. Uh, and then we're pulling anhydrous rig behind the we pull a cart. We pull a Montag cart mm -hmm. first and then the anhydrous behind that. You know, and so then we put on probably two thirds of our nitrogen or three quarters, probably in the fall. You know, and then we put some on a little bit on uh, with our herbicide after we plant corn and then some of it we side dress or we run some nitrogen through pivots but it's not a very efficient way when you just put a blend on a field and you got spots where you need a lot of phosphorus and pot at you know that's so eventually we're hoping to do that I don't know whether we're going to go to a 16 row one machine or whether we're going to just buy different Montag carts you know the twin bend carts and hmm. and run them that way because all of our ground is grid sampled by CVA, so we still do that too. Besides the strip tilling, sure. What What have you guys learned from some of those results? Have you guys been able to modify what you're applying or make adjustments in your fertility program? Uh, yeah, because I mean, we need you know, like, well, one farm we're going to put some liquid zinc on. I didn't put it on with the dry, but you know, it needs parts of it need zinc, so there's not enough of it in the mess, so we might throw a little on with the starter. Yeah, you know, the very first year. Uh, we strip-tilled. We just used 100, 100 or 150 pounds. We used I think a, just 100. 100 pounds of mess. Well, mess, you know, what is that? It's 12 nitrogen, 40 phosphorus, zero potash. Sulfur. 10 zinc. sulfur and one zinc. Yeah. So we weren't getting any potash on. And we were thinking like, oh, we did do a very good job of looking at some of our books, you know. Oh, we don't need that much potash. Only a couple fields need a little. Well, then we got to studying our maps, grid maps better. And I was like, oh, well, that wasn't a very good decision. So on the one farm, we actually did a test where on Jane's... Oh, um, yeah, we just don't have those results back yet, do we? No, 
Oh, the first year. The first year, the second year. Yeah, yeah. The second year on Jane's, south side of Jane's pivot, we did like 48 rows with Mez in several blocks, and then we did 48 rows with Mez and, and Aspire. And Aspire. I don't know if we were using Aspire that first year. No, probably not. Aspire is just a... Uh, do you know what Aspire is? No. It's a potash that's uh, encapsulated with boron. Okay. And Mez, the way they got that name up, I'm... Well, you're going to spend time with CBA, but they'll. I think it's. I think Mez is derived from MAP, elemental sulfur and zinc. Yeah, is how they. The name theory that. in that is they cover the phosphorus molecule with those to keep it from tying out. Mm. Is the idea behind it? And each, you know, <clears throat> like on the the purlings or the the individual pebbles in the fertilizer, uh, each one. Has some sulfur and zinc on it. Has sulfur and zinc mm. blended in it. So you're getting it. Yeah, all or if over you just where, blend in a pound of zinc, who knows where. You'd have a pebble here is. and there. And um, the, the one thing that I did, I went to three of the four, I think, strip till conferences. And the one thing uh, that I, I really enjoyed that, and that was an eye opener uh, of spreading fertilizer and having it under the row, the Jeff Rennes. Uh, 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 Reince, yeah, Jeff Reince from did Iowa. That, yeah. Did that talk that one time mm -hmm. on, and show had their corn roots there and the white paper laid out and had the purlings. You know, uh, that was huge to see. You know how much difference there was on how the roots were exposed to the fertilizer. So that's the theory with the, the spire and the mez. You know, each each pebble has a little bit of the stuff in it rather than having one here and one three foot away if you're only using a pound of zinc. Mm -hmm. After we did that test uh, on that farm, we saw that, I think we saw six bushel increase yeah, in the corn that year, like that. where we had used the Mez and the Aspire. Um, so we definitely saw we needed some potash, so that's why we're using the blend everywhere. But like I say, the goal would be to... To put it where it needs to be. Because they're doing, grit, we've had everything grid sampled for years and we're doing variable rate dry spread. And, and lime, but we've only been doing that now on the corn stalk ground in the fall, and then in the, on the bean ground, then we just put it, you know, right under the row. Um, it'd be a lot more efficient if we had the potash and phosphorus coming out at the right times mm -hmm. in the right spots. Well, you guys mentioned the that you guys are strip tilling all your soybeans too. Uh, the soybean ground. The soybean ground. Four corn. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Because we yeah, rotate. Have, gotcha. Have, it, so you're still no tilling your soybeans? Yes. Okay, I was yeah. going to say that would have been an interesting transition to go from no till soybeans to strip till, but no. yeah. That, down on that crappy farm, I'm strip tilling that <laughs> and plant everything. Mm, okay. So we're planting 30 inch soybeans on strips down there. Gotcha. We've been tinkering with doing it in the corn stalks too, but. We were gonna do that. We didn't do it. And that farm down there, it's it's just wet. It's black, tight soil. I mean, it's really it's uh, the one year that we didn't get. You were mentioned that yesterday. Oh yeah, that was two, we didn't get the Pringle years ago. East strip tilled, and the rest of the farm we got strip tilled. And I don't remember. I think it was roughly the two parts of it that we got stripped till made roughly 200 mm. the one that didn't went like 135 140 mm. it just stays wet for so long you know it's it needs it. tile i guess probably but it's so tight and you know, it's but strip till really works good down there mm. we're happy with it everywhere but, mm -hmm. you know it's it's amazing to me how much the yields have come up over the years uh and 
I'm, I'm guessing it's, you know, a combination of lots of things, genetics and strip till and the better technology on planters with your downforce and your spacing, it all ties together. But, you know, wasn't that many years ago that 200 bushel corn was pretty big around here and now, you know. This shark beans were just a little better than average. I was a little disappointed in some of the beans. One quarter had SDS and one got white mold, but uh, down on that that farm actually beat some of our better ground uh, on the beans. But the corn yields this year in Nebraska or eastern, our area, were huge, mm -hmm. you know. What, what have you guys seen in terms of those yields you mentioned? You've seen, you know, some, some growth there with with strip till but compared to where you we were. haven't been brave enough to leave a section unstripped till you know to actually test it to, to actually <laughs> test it so i mean we don't probably have a solid grasp on what it truly is doing mm -hmm. besides that one year on that farm but that's an anomaly the other ones wouldn't be like that mm -hmm. is that um, something yeah, you consider doing in the future well or? we should but just i don't know we just don't we're yeah. leaving the nature <laughs> of bean we, ground <laughs> right yeah we're, I was gonna we're say. pretty happy sure that it's doing what it needs to be doing so mm -hmm. we've just never sometime we should probably do it we probably should because but just, we would have to anhydrous across that spot in at an angle and then no-till it you know like we were doing i'm guessing the system's got to be 20 or you, 25 you could all you really would probably have to do is move the strips over 15 inches so that you got your anhydrous on yeah and yeah, we could do that. so like you're yeah. pretty sure and you feel like all that effort to basically confirm what we're already pretty sure about yeah. isn't worth it yeah because yeah. yeah, our stands are quite a bit better mm -hmm. than what they used to be you know this year irrigated corn yield 264 to 299 is what our checks were hmm. you know it was but it was a super good year you know sure. it was a really long grain fill at the end because of the weather and so the kernels were big and and test weights were high i mean there was lots of good yields around here yeah, that people yeah, that didn't strip till two but we're just really happy with our corn yields this year the other thing we're doing is doing cover crops in all the corn stalks hmm. too we used to just do it on the seed corn fields have it flown on with the plane but now last year we tried having a guy come drill after harvest and that worked out pretty good. And so now this year we drilled every corn stock acre. But we'll see what happens because it got late, late this year. and it's dry and cold and none of it came up. Hmm. It came up on the seed corn fields. This was a Yeah, that, that they did early. Oh, okay. But that did, on the seed corn fields, we had been using cereal rye and radish and turnips the first year. And then after that, we went to cereal rye, uh, tillage radish, and Ethiopian cabbage. Hmm. Uh, and it usually got knee high if they flew it on with a plane, you know, and then, right, seed corn harvest a lot of times is the end of August, the first part of September, so it had a lot of growth time. And it was knee high and it was beautiful stuff. I mean, this year we were a little disappointed because the radishes and stuff only got like the size of an ink pen, you know, uh, and they died fairly early with early Frost. freeze. Yeah. Last year we planted beans through rye this tall. Oh, it was up to the toolbar on the planter. So it deviates a lot. So it was, uh, it was a little uh, nerve-wracking seeing if it would actually work, but that was tall. And we did learn some things on that. You know, we, what was our plan? We were gonna plant green, but then it stayed wet for so long. The stuff was getting taller and taller and taller. 
Then we killed it, and we were going to plant, but then we got another wet spell. So we were planting into rye that had been dead for oh, a little days. bit, a little yeah. Bit. But it hadn't. It didn't. It was still standing. Yes, yeah. but the wet spell continued, and we found that we had a real problem with it. Stayed too wet down where the beans were planted. Some of them actually damped off and rotted out. We replanted a couple quarters because of mm-hmm. because of that. Um, we actually even had slugs that we'd never seen ever before in this quarter. Um, I'm guessing it's just, I don't know, I've heard there are more and more of them around in different areas, but I, it was a perfect habitat for them. It was so wet for so long. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So our goal is to try and plant green and then kill it a day before or, or after, but it didn't work out this year. Is it how often do you run into issues where you're not killing your cover crops in time? Pardon me? Like well, we always like used to kill them, though, before. like before. in early April when yeah. we put pre's on. Right. But then, then we decide, but then then when you go to plant, if it gets wet, you have a, a really wet. Yeah, and you're unprotected. Yeah. So. And it, the moisture doesn't ever go anywhere. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, we'll let it grow. And they say let it grow as long as possible. Right. We did see a lot of weed suppression with it. There was a... We have a 100-foot pole-type sprayer, and um, you came back from spraying somewhere, and we had a little Somewhere bit. where we didn't have cover crop, and I had some Eat. stuff left, so I just went out in this field that was cover crop to clean it out. We should have taken pictures of that. Yeah, we should have, because if we had a 200-foot mess of weeds, <laughs> there was where we killed it uh, early. You know, we just cleaned the sprayer out there the last, however, 20, 30 gallons, so there was a 100-foot strip or Yeah, I went up back. You went up um, back. Where the cover crop was actually killed quite early. It was only... Yeah, it was killed a month ahead, month before the other stuff. And there was... I mean, it was day and night, right to the sprayer, edge of the sprayer, where there was... What was killed early, I mean, there was water hemp, and it was a mess. It's a seed corn field every other year. And so in seed corn, you usually have a, a lot higher weed pressure just because they come in there and cut the tops off and you keep watering it and the sun gets to the ground and and anymore seed corn it's so touchy on what chemicals you can even use for pre's you know uh, they don't let you use some of the real Mm -hmm. stuff that you'd want to uh, because seed sensitive to it so that was a a big eye-opener where there was so many weeds where that cover crop was killed early Mm -hmm. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, I've heard a little bit about that where guys run into that issue, but probably not to that extent. But you're right. I mean, it's uh, timing is such a big factor when you're yeah. talking about it. And you're right, guys will say, keep it out there as long as you can, you know. And, and, you know, it seems like kind of a tolerance thing about, well, you it's know. It's scary when you see yeah. your ride is this tall and <laughs> well, you're trying to plant soybeans. Chad did that the year before. Yeah, a guy up north did it year before, so that made it a little, yeah. little better. Sure, sure. But it sounds like overall you guys have, have seen some good results with, with what you're doing on, on the cover cropping side and integrating that. Yeah, we, we seem to, we think it's helping because mm-hmm. we keep doing that. It's too. fun. There's no magic book or number you can look up because every field is going to be unique in that sense. Yeah. So yep. a lot of it's just intuition. And then this year will be even different yet because it didn't come up in the fall. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get a, even less of a start. <laughs> so I don't know if it's. Yeah, if it's going to do us as much good, we'll have to see especially we, you know the weeds also, because there's a lot of winter annuals that came up this year, a ton. Hmm. So now they're going to have a head start on the. Well, they probably won't have a head start on the rye, but because rye germinates, 
34 degrees. And there's a little bit of rye up in some of those other fields, just very little. Yeah, it's starting to come up a little bit. It's yeah. thin, and I'm guessing a lot of it didn't germinate yet just because yeah. it was yeah. so dry. So I don't know how much good we're going to get out of it. We started harvesting, oh, maybe the tail end of September, and we harvested three, four days in between rain. We went and did a little 40 of beans here and there. But then it started raining, and I looked back in the harvest records, and we harvested a 40 on the 1st of October, then we didn't get back in until the 11th. And so it just stayed wet for so long. Then it got dry, and so then by the time he got harvest done, you know, we haven't had any moisture since no. the first part of October. No, he drilled everything, and then it's just... So none of it came up very well. So we'll see what... That'll be something else to learn and see what happens. We'll see how good it is because if that does happen again, then we probably should run pivots after harvest. Yeah. I hate to even <laughs> think about doing that, but I'm guessing if we had ran four tents a couple times on the I'll irrigated fields, that it would Yeah, be. it's just one of those unknowns. You think all oh, you're going to catch. Right. But you should probably just do it, and if you catch six tenths of rain or half inch or whatever and you don't need it, well, you don't need it. At least you got your cover crop going. Mm -hmm. um, but, so we'll have a learning experience. I guess. That's right. We have quite a bit of irrigation. Um, I don't know what the percentage is, but we have like about 2,600 acres and probably, I don't know what it is, 70% irrigated? Or, I guess I haven't really figured that out. Yeah, probably pretty close to that. So we couldn't do it on every field. But no, no, but I'm just saying the ones The ones could. that we could do it on, we probably should. Um, we put in quite a bit of tile the last few years. Uh, some of our ground has not very good uh, internal drainage on some of the heavier gumbos. Mm -hmm. So we put a bunch of tile in some fields. And and we actually tiled a field last year that had a cover crop that was pretty big. You know, didn't seem to... I mean, it bothered it right where they put the tile in. Killed it, most of it. But that's been helpful, too. Mm -hmm. Kind of all tying together, I think. We'll get back to our conversation with Kirk and Brent shortly, but I want to once again thank our sponsor, Dawn Equipment, for making this podcast possible. The new Dawn Pluribus strip-till row unit is the industry's first strip-till row unit with active row-by-row -row hydraulic down pressure, which allows you to make the perfect strip even if life puts you in a tire track. The new Dawn Pluribus makes a deeper, wider strip and offers hydraulic in-cab row cleaner adjustment all with the same high speed and low power performance you've come to expect. You can call Don today to set up a demo of the new Pluribus at 800-554-0007. Once again, that number is 800-554-0007. And another reminder, if you haven't done so yet, you can subscribe to this podcast series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from our conversation with Kirk Brand and Brent Wilnerd during our visit to their Nebraska farm. I mean, obviously coming from no-till, you know, I'm guessing the soil health aspect was already there for you guys, but have you noticed anything different, uh, you know, with, um, you know, organic matter? Have you guys stayed... Stable, you know, kind of... No, our organic matter is going up, yeah. but I, I mean, from the no-till, I'm guessing. So, I don't know. My new books that I got the last year, I look back 
compared to the other ones. I'm like, I don't know if that was on Johnson where it was, but they were all, you know, two. It was a steady two, three, four tenths better than the previous time it was done. I know they say that takes a long time, and I wouldn't have thought you'd be able to really tell yet, but pretty sure you can tell. Yeah, that's kind of changed too, because years ago I read where, you know, you couldn't change your organic matter. That's what they were telling you. You couldn't change your organic matter. That took forever. And I'm guessing that's not. I don't sure. I think it can change faster than what they thought back then. The experts, so-called experts, <laughs> you know, just wasn't done much apparently, or I don't know what how they had really come by their thesis. Well, the other thing too is how much grid sampling was there. So I mean, if you're going and taking five samples out of a quarter and checking it, and then yeah, and then you do that again five years later, well, you know, how much does that really show you? Yeah. But where you can take a book and uh, the grid samples and lay them side by side and yeah, you know, every oh, two point, these were taken 2. in the same acres, spot. Is that what it is? Yeah, 2.2. 2, you know, you can look at every one of the samples compared. I don't know. I don't have a number on that, but I would think four to five tenths of... Yeah, out of that, what I, I don't remember which field it was. I was just looking at the other night, though, and I was like, that has actually gone up. Hmm. And it seems like there's more water holding capacity, and it seems like the internal drainage is better. I don't know. And you know the other some big, of those things, like, it's hard to put a number on. or to, And I would say one of the bigger places where it shows it, too, is, like, when we took over Levon's, that 40. Yeah. I mean, it's garbage. Hmm. pHs are fives. The phosphorus levels are single digits. Hmm. And I sharecropped it with her as a role lady. So she didn't have the money... So we never put nothing into it. We just no-tilled it. And I, I did cover crops there for quite a while, or have been. Well, I'm raising almost the same yields I am on the other farms now without actually putting much into it. Yeah, I don't it. know. How many years have we farmed that? Oh, four. Levons? No, we've farmed Levons way longer than four. I've only been farming periods yeah, since 2001. I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. <Well>, 2004. <laughs> 2000, yeah. not I four thought years. you said four years. No, oh, four. No, oh, four. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that farm. But that, that's the one farm where it's like, it's almost got to be your cropping practice. Yeah. Because And she's never had yields like, you know, when we started farming, she was so happy all the time. And nothing, now now that I'm cash, I'm cash, she's old enough now that she, but I'm cash running it now, so we're starting to pour stuff into it. But mm -hmm. It had basically been mined. Yeah. But being no-till and cover crops, it was gaining on the good ground. It was, it was you know, I have a field a mile and a half away that would be 30 bushels better. Well, now it's 5 or 10 bushels better. Mm. Yeah, it has improved that a lot. That would just be one where I would say that the no-till aspect in cover crops is... There's one that I would say would show you that yes. it's gaining you yeah. something. Are, are you strip-tilling that field, too, then? Yeah, okay. now we are, yeah. Was that field, is that something that came from just being conventionally tilled? I assume, Jeff, yeah. yeah, I'm sure those he guys... He wasn't a no-tiller, the guy that farmed it before. Sure. Yeah. It, had been it was conventional, weedy, no... Low yield. No fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was poor, the way it was managed. Yeah. And now it basically makes what everything else does. Yeah. And we're just starting to get to the point where we're putting nutrients in it halfway decent in about a dozen years or so yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so uh you know we talked a little bit about some of the the benefits you guys are seeing you know with with strip till i mean are, are there 
kind of measurements you guys have have been able to point to you guys you know offered some really good um you know anecdotes here some things that you guys are seeing but anything else you've kind of taken away uh you know or or things that you've kind of pointed to to say you know maybe it's not a a benefit that directly correlates to yields but you mentioned obviously you know you're seeing better stands you know with with the corn um i gotta imagine probably color is a little bit better than what you've seen in the past but i mean one thing that i learned this year uh we had a field of oh it's 225 acres it's got a big pivot on it with the corner arm so i suppose 190 of it's irrigated probably we had it a uh, e-seed with a sled last year and then they made us a, a variable rate uh, irrigation map and so there was a a probe out in the field <clears throat> we hadn't done that before uh, the company cva did it for us they put it in made the maps for us and stuff and uh, that pivot happened to be a newer pivot and it had uh, you know the capability of uh, i guess i shouldn't really say variable rate it's a speed control you know not a true variable rate thing where you can control every nozzle but there's some lighter a little bit lighter spot in that field in a couple spots and some real heavy gumbo and so <clears throat> the very the variable rate irrigation there worked out real well i was happy with it but <clears throat> the probe that was in um they can tell the root depth uh, i think it's a uh, the probe goes 40 inches deep and every four inches there's a there's a sensor and so they can tell when the roots get there by how the sensor reacts uh, and the guy told me that did this for us that he had 34 probes out uh, and we were the only ones to get to 40 inches and we were had deeper roots I should ask Scott uh, you know how how he was really comparing that to other guys without naming people our roots went deeper than anybody's of those other 34 probes and faster and so we had really deep roots fast um, which was I wasn't you know I didn't know that before this year um, I think we're going to continue to work that way with more uh, variable rate irrigation and those probes I like that system have you guys noticed or been able to track any any water savings to this point yet well, this is just the first year we tried it, so... Sure. Yeah, I didn't really document how much. I would say we used two circles less on that quarter by having a variable rate irrigation in this scheduling. What does that equate you know, to? You know, that would probably be like an inch and a half to an inch and three quarters. We used to put an inch on always with the pivots, and then it seemed like it was... We liked it better when we did like three quarters to eight tenths. The pivot ruts didn't get as deep. It just seemed like... For us, it seemed better, so we kind of went to like an eight tenths, three quarters to eight tenths. Part of it too, when I went to eight tenths, is it's probably was making up for them guys adjusting themselves. You know, you went to eight tenths while well, you weren't falling behind when you should have been by what they were telling you to put on. Too. Yeah. So we're like, well, maybe we just don't need to put on quite so much every time. So if you think about about it, kind of that way, we kind of were making up for what they were doing already probably a little yeah, bit yeah yeah you're right especially on seed corn because those guys really yeah always are pouring the water to yeah them. it's such a high dollar crop they don't ever want to stress it and mm -hmm. you know it's managed so 
but when they tell you to put an inch and a quarter on, you only do eight tenths, and then the next week it hasn't rained, but you're not any further behind. <laughs> yeah, and so you know the seed corn company has their own consultant different than what we have on our commercial acres. So when they say, you know, you need to do this, we don't even question it because the seed corn company is paying a guy to tell you what to do to properly manage it, and if we don't do it, and you know, then that doesn't look too good. <laughs> Uh, and seed corn contracts have been really good. Uh, we enjoy doing it, and it's extra profit potential. Mm-hmm. Um, we also grow seed beans now. Previous to this year, we had been about half commercial beans and half seed beans. Uh, this year, we were 100% seed beans just because extra profit potential. Uh, and right now, you need to look hard for... <laughs> You know, yields have been really good, but uh, with the prices... Well, we get paid on Chicago Futures with the seedlings, so there's no basis. Right. So right now, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So bad. So, so kind of looking at the, the scope of what you guys have, and, and obviously, you know, with kind of the progress you guys have made already with, you know, what you're doing at Strip Till, you know, other things you guys are, are looking at for the future, things maybe you'd like to... To implement, try out, uh, change. The biggest thing is the variable rating or dry. It's probably our number one thing that we want to pursue, I guess. The other thing I have questions with for people, I don't know the answer, or you've got how to uh, uh, soil sample. Hmm. Do you soil sample in the strip? Do you do it beside the strip? Do you do it in between? Do you do some of both? You know, we've kind of fought with that one for a yeah. couple of years trying to figure out which way to do it. I think right now they're taking one in the strip and one doing 50, in between the strips. 50-50. We're I getting kind of a 50-50 blend of that zone. But no one's ever really said, mm-hmm. hey, you should do, do it, it this way because of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't ever get anyone to answer that question. <laughs> How much of a, a difference are you guys seeing with those results for in the strip versus on the side? Well, because maybe... I even have that book up here. I haven't Last year on Maple Creek, they did it both ways. But I don't. Um, while he's looking for that, I guess one other thing that we're trying to work, uh, it's a small thing, but we, we've been trying to change on our strip-till bars is make, our strip-till bars don't have a rolling basket or any kind of a smoother behind it, and even with the, with the, with the precision equipment on the planter and the Delta Force, you can still tell, you know, like say you strip tilling it dry like it was this fall, you get some cloudiness. Well, then come spring it's mellowed out, but you still have your hole where the cloud came to and a, and a hump in the strip. And so uh, you can tell by the good ride on the monitor that, uh, so we've been trying to, we were going to work with that this year, but we didn't get the baskets until after we were done strip tilling. Uh, so we're going to try and work a little bit on smoothing our berm off or firming it up a little bit. Uh, Making it a little more even on the top for planting in the next year. Um, and like I say, we're going to try and go to more of the variable rate irrigation and the uh, EC, having EC done on the fields. Um, we've been variable rate planting our corn for second year or third year? Uh, second for just sure. Second year. Second year. Right, First year we just did four or five fields and then. This year we did all the fields that were planted in corn. Uh, I was going to ask, so for the cover crops, how many years have you guys been implementing that? We, did it, we started with that CSP program. Yeah, and we were in that, that five, five years. years. And we've been out of that two? Two 
two or three. I would say this is seven probably or eight. eight. Yeah, eighth eight. year of cover crop, but probably three of real intensive. Yeah, and this get, is actually will be the first year of one hundred percent done on corn stalks. On our corn stalk yeah. ground, last year we were maybe fifty percent. Yeah, last year we had that guy. We found a guy to come in and drill behind the combine, and we only we tried it on some acres. Mm. Plus, the problem we were having in commercial corn and beans is with the airplane stuff just don't grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real yeah, iffy. I mean, sometimes it it would be fairly good, and sometimes it'd be, it'd be a big nothing. disappointment. So we went away from the aerial seeding. It worked on seed corn because you have so much light, mm-hmm. but then we went away from. The only thing with the airplane is, too, is it seemed like our evenness was not very good. I would personally like, I think we would like to get cover crop on our bean ground that we're strip tilling. Uh, but that takes a lot of time, and I, I haven't really figured out how to do that real well, or we haven't. Um, we did aerial seeding of rye and radish on soybeans that were almost mature. I mean, they were turning yellow, you know. Uh, and the stuff would come up, but it just, by the t- it didn't grow very much. Uh, no, and then you go bury it with all that residue when you come You know, and then, you know, high-yielding beans and the residue and... Never had very good luck. We never had very good luck with it. The other thing I'd like to try is I've read about these guys that are putting rye in with like a rotary hoe having two wheels in between a 30 inch row and then a gandy cedar or something different ways it's been done but uh, at like v6 or seven or whatever yeah v5 to six i think is what i four to six i don't know Mm -hmm. plant that rye in between the growing corn and then it kind of goes dormant and then once you harvest your corn it really I want someone to come up with that machine, though, and come try it in a couple of our <laughs> yeah. fields. Uh, that's yeah. the problem. Yeah, I was wondering if we could try that <clears throat> with aerial seeding or even, like, with an old fertilizer buggy. You know, just go do a 10-acre spot in the middle of a field at the right time, and that you could and then we would it would get watered in, so it wouldn't really matter if it was yeah. in with a hoe or a, any type of... Because then, you wouldn't have the late planting of your cover crop problem, you know. And as soon as you harvest your corn, it's going to take off. And what I've read is the biological part, besides, you know, the getting the cereal rye breaking up the compaction and the roots going deep, the biological yeah, part. Yeah, it's all about having, having, having the, something growing for having so long. Having stuff working year-round. And so now, this year's cover crop, other than on our seed corn fields, it's not going to grow until yeah, spring. I mean, it's going to get it working earlier. But yeah, it's not going to do what it did last year by no means. Yeah, no. So a system like that, where you could put it in at V four to six, and then as long as it didn't take away from your crop that you were growing, and you harvest that crop, and it. The only hard part is you just sprayed that crop. Now how are you going to get right in? Grow. Yeah, there's. You know, you'd have to leave the atrazine out of your post for sure. Yeah, and then figure out even what chemically yeah that would be a you know when you're waiting until now to do it at least it's had time to go through the chemical the soil would be great. And, and yeah there's a lot of it's not as easy as it sounds when you start factoring everything in that way yeah yeah it's a challenge <laughs> something to try and work here's on. something new every year 
thank you, Kirk and Brent, for sharing your lessons learned and successes with incorporating cover crops into your strip-till system. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Don Equipment, and the new Pluribus Strip-Till Row Unit for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily email. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptill, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Striptill Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on January 5th for the first episode in our 2018 podcast series and a reminder that you can still register to receive our brand new Strip-Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Kirk Brand, Brent Wilnard, Dawn Equipment, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Samlicka. Thanks for listening.